Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of equine suturing tips with Allison Gardner, DDM. Gardner is also a diplomate in the American College of Veterinary Surgeons Large Animal and a diplomate in the American College of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Large Animal. She's an assistant professor of clinical equine surgery, Department of Veterinary Clinical Sciences at The Ohio State University. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of EquiManagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2021 by Merck Animal Health. Welcome, Dr. Gardner. Thanks, Kim. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Well, we're really excited about this. We just had a Disease Du Jour podcast on emergency medicine in the field. So this is a great follow-up as the top two emergency calls are for colics and lacerations. So let's just jump right in and, and what are the top considerations when you're addressing an injury to know whether it needs suturing or not? Sure. Um, so I, I think I should preface this by saying I, I work at Ohio State and I'm in the hospital, which means I'm in the ivory tower. I get things sent to me and I've got a small army of people to to help me. So, so take that with... Um, with what you will in that I get to probably suture up a lot more because I've got the help, I've got uh, the ability to have lights in an area and clean things out thoroughly. Um, but we do see a lot of, of lacerations that haven't been seen by vets out in the field just because our referring vets are so busy. So if they're already seeing, like Kim said, that colic, which is the other prevalent emergency and don't have time to see the laceration, they'll just send it right into the hospital because there's a chance we can get it done faster. And and we we do try to suture most of our lacerations standing. And then uh, the ones that don't have underlying uh, joint involvement or any bony abnormalities, we I often give the owners the option of taking it home that night um, if they're comfortable with keeping it bandaged and their RDVM can take out sutures in a bit. So I'll just start prefacing that. In regard to wounds that I choose to suture, a lot of it depends on two things. One, how long that wound has been there, and two, what underlying structures could be involved. And all of us know those wounds where the owner swears up and down it just happened, and you go out and there's plenty of granulation tissue in the wound. So you know it's been there for at least three to five days. Those ones are really hard to suture and they're also a little dirtier. So even if I choose to suture those, a lot of times I'll do delayed closure of those. I'll, I'll clean them up that first night, debride them, and then put a bandage on and, and decide if I can suture them up the next day. Um, another thing that may delay my closure is how much edema is in the wound. Uh, distal limb wounds are fairly infamous for having very little skin to close together. There's just no soft tissue there. And sometimes when there's edema in the area, it just makes it impossible to suture the edges together. We had a horse even two weeks ago that I thought we could get it done and, and um, just had too much tension across the wound. So in those, instances, I'll put a compression bandage on, usually with a 7.2% hypertonic saline wet to dry bandage over the wound. That helps with drying out some of the edema and also some of the particulates that may be contaminating the wound and get to suture it the next day after removing the compression bandage. I don't like keeping those hypertonic bandages on 
longer than 24 hours because the the saline can macerate the tissues. So I want to get to those the next day, but I find them really helpful. And that wound I mentioned two weeks ago was easily sutured up the next day after a compression bandage. And then I also mentioned underlying structures. So um, with lacerations, especially the distal limb, uh, there's a big concern for joint sepsis or joint contamination. And those are the ones where if there's joint contamination, those are the ones we'll anesthetize in the hospital to lavage out the joint. And I will suture up those wounds if it's contamination of the joint, meaning acute and we're able to get a good lavage through, or I'll leave them open if that joint is very, very contaminated, um, high cell count, or there's particulates in the area, or it's a little bit more chronic, meaning that horse may need to have another lavage under anesthesia. So those are those are my considerations for, for suturing, but generally here, if it's an acute wound and I can get those edges together, I prefer to suture them. Uh, and and the one other thing before we get into the, the rest of decision-making for suturing that I'll mention is I tell the students, even if you can suture it up, there's so much tension across these planes of tissue in horses that in all likelihood, the best it's gonna look is that 30 minutes after you suture it up. So I always warn owners, there's a chance of some dehiscence five to seven days after we suture that wound together. And so they're pleasantly surprised if there's not, but then they don't blame the vet if, if that distal limb wound loses some of its sutures. So I'll, I'll preface it with that. Okay, and what considerations come into play when you're in the field and you're getting a wound ready to be sutured? Yeah, yeah, so I think the there's, there's the stuff an owner can do before the vet gets there, and then there's the stuff the vet can do. So, um, so firstly, the stuff an owner can do, if if the wound is bleeding heavily, and again, talking about distal limb wounds, um, there there is a risk of a horse losing a large amount of blood if it lacerates either the medial or lateral um, palmar or plantar vessels. So. Uh, if if it's just um, if it's just an issue of, of the horse is bleeding a lot and it's going to be an hour before the vet can arrive, then then um, the owner can place a tourniquet. Um, so so research has shown that there's uh, little risk to long-term damage of a of a limb in in any species if a tourniquet is placed on for an hour or less. Um, so in an emergency situation, tourniquets are okay. I would not leave a tourniquet on overnight. Um, and I know everybody listening as a veterinarian knows that, but but um, in the acute stages with a lot of blood, I, I think that that may save a horse, um, but it's rare to have that kind of bleeding. Other things owners can do, in distal limb wounds, we see a lot of wounds with high tensile wire, horses get their legs stuck in things and they think that it's a, a better idea to try to amputate themselves than just stand quietly and wait for somebody to free them. That's probably the most common wound we see. And then we see a lot of heel bulb lacerations where horses have literally stomped dirt into their wound and 
And in those cases, um, the then uh, cleaning out a wound with a, a garden hose, we'll, we'll often even start with that in the hospital. The risks to that is, is that the water from a garden hose, it's hypotonic fluid, so it will cause some cellular swelling. Um, but if you've got manure particulates in the wound, then, then that's probably the easiest way to remove gross contamination. And then if, a, if an owner's confident in bandaging, they can certainly bandage up the, the limb either for transport or then just wait for the vet to get there. And then when the vet gets there, I think the, the biggest thing is assess underlying structures. We could do a whole nother podcast on, on how to assess underlying structures. So we will, um, Kim, if you wanna get into that more, we can, but uh, uh, rule out joint or bony involvement. Um, if there's no joint or bony involvement, then I do clip all my wounds. Um, you can put some water soluble lube in the wound to keep hair from sliding down into it but um, it'll let you see wound margins better it's uh, um, I think uh, just keeps the area cleaner and then also allows you to see if there's any other wounds that may be more difficult to see under hair um, and then uh, and then I'll usually clean the wound with uh, chlorhexidine scrub and then if it's a large wound then I'll just saline rinse that chlorhex off um, rather than than use alcohol and then the the next thing I do before suturing is I always debride my wound margins and there's several different types or methods of debridement my favorite which is the kindest to healthy tissues is sharp debridement so um, after applying a local block to that that area either through a nerve block or, or a line block i'll take a scalpel blade and just uh, gently debride just maybe one tissue layer around from those wound edges um, to to allow for appropriate healing and removal of contamination a lot of times if there's a big fascial plane that's exposed you'll actually see dirt ground into that fascial plane and I'll use the scalpel blade, a, a 10 blade or even a 22, a big guy, to, to take off that very top layer of tissue to remove the contamination along with it. Okay. okay. Some good tips in that one. So let's look at some of the specifics uh, that you deal with. And you've talked about leg wounds and, and some of the problems that you have there. What, what steps do you take and what are you looking for to do and how do you handle leg wounds? Sure, sure. And I'll, you know, I touch the most on leg wounds. Horses like to run into things at, at high speeds and lacerate themselves all over. But I, I mentioned leg wounds because I think they're the most frustrating. Um, they, there's uh, really important structures such as vessels, nerves, and joints um, right underneath distal limbs, and there's just not much skin or soft tissue to hold things together. So when we're talking about risk of exuberant granulation tissue, we're usually talking about leg wounds, a poor blood supply, just not much soft tissue. So, so I try to preserve as much tissue in these areas as possible, and then I, I try to suture these up after ruling out underlying synovial structure with tension relieving principles. And even if the skin flap 
because um, a lot of times we're dealing with a flap with these high tensile wires, even if the skin flap looks like it might potentially die, I'll still suture that to the parent's skin for two reasons. One, I've been pleasantly surprised. Sometimes it decides to to regain life or just that the, the tip of it dies off. And two, um, a lot of these horses expose their, their cannon bone and any exposed cannon bone has a risk of sequestration development long down the road, which certainly is prolongs that animal's convalescence. Um, in, in the leg wounds, are you a, a bandage or a not bandage, or does it depend on the location? I'm always a bandager on leg wounds. Um, that's a good question, yeah. Uh, to, to protect the sutures, horses also live in their manure, so it gets dirty. And then um, the, the more you reduce movement, the higher chance that wound is gonna heal together more cosmetically. So not only am I a bandager if say the, the cannon bone is, is exposed, but, um, but sometimes we'll put splints on these horses to reduce movement, especially if, if it's one of those distal cannon bone lacerations down by the dorsum of the fetlock, the fetlock can really move that area a lot and, and uh, contribute to dehiscence. And then there's a couple of times I'll even apply a bandage cast or with heel bulb lacerations, a foot cast. Now with those horses that come in here, um, we'll either tell the owner to keep the horse in the hospital so that we can keep an eye on those casts or give them strict instructions on stall rest only. They've got to monitor that cast at least twice a day for any signs of slippage or cast sores and then um, keep a close eye on, on an animal if it's got an immobilized distal limb. Okay, and let's go up to, from there to the, the chest or body, because sometimes mm -hmm. you like bandaging, man, trying to keep a bandage on some of those areas is tough. Oh, I, I agree. And then, and then I'm going to change my tune a little bit. So uh, neck wounds, chest wounds, abdominal wounds, that's, that's when we look like heroes because the blood supply is just so much better. So these wounds often look worse because there's just a lot of soft tissue involved. Um, and then these are the ones where horses run into things at high speed. So uh, ones I can think of are a horse that took a five by eight centimeter piece of skin and muscle out of her neck by running into a gooseneck trailer um, and that healed very well within a couple months. Uh, horses that try to squeeze through doorways they can't fit in. A, a lot of us see point of the shoulder lacerations um, and then of course the chest and abdomen wounds. Uh, just like in the distal limb, um, rule out underlying uh, structure involvement. So on the neck, um, you're probably going to realize if the jugular carotid is is lacerated, <laughs> uh, but esophagus in that area as well. And then uh, chest wounds um, rule out a, a pneumothorax. Horses do have an incomplete mediastinum, so if there's a, a pneumothorax on one side, there'll generally be one on the other, and and there's a chance that that horse might be in respiratory distress um, from a chest wound. And then abdominal wounds, um, sometimes we'll do a, an abdominocentesis just to ensure that there was no penetrating wound um, to that area. So if probably of those, um, 
the the vet can absolutely save the horse's life on the farm if they identify a pneumothorax on the farm. Uh, because in those locations, in those situations, I'd recommend referral uh, if there's if there's thoracic involvement or abdominal involvement. But if there's thoracic involvement, then the vet can uh, can relieve the pneumothorax and then also apply saran wrap around the horse um, to keep it from from sucking any more air into the chest cavity. Um, Otherwise, my decisions for suturing these up are, are similar, but you've just got more skin to work with. There's less, um, less tension in these areas. And so there's a, a chance that, that they might heal um, better uh, with those. Um, and then a lot of these I'll leave unbandaged unless the horse, uh, unless the horse self-mutilates, which they, they sometimes will. They'll turn around and bite at your sutures. So in those cases, things like um, slinkies or blankets might might uh, protect the wound. But I'm with you, Kim, like especially point of the shoulders or elbows, they're really, really difficult to bandage up. Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their ongoing investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. I remember a, a filly we had that ran into a T-post and did mm-hmm. the whole L shaped and the vet tried to put a bandage on and he's like this will not stay but it makes you feel better mm-hmm. the sutures are in they're good there's plenty of tissue if the bandage comes off it comes off mm-hmm. but it was I think he was just trying to cover it because it was so big so we wouldn't panic over it and this was when I was a kid so mm-hmm. it, it made a, a big impact on me yeah I think the um they weren't made for this but slinkies for horse shows to keep braids down have been really helpful for some of those pectoral and neck wounds um there's also some liquid bandaging materials such as alu spray that that i love just to it keeps the wound edges together um or or uh from water penetrating liquid penetrating in those first couple of days until the the wound provides a seal through healing um is helpful yeah okay and let's move on up the body to head wounds you talked about leg wounds bleed a lot man you can scare a horse hunter to death with a head wound oh i totally agree um uh head wounds are uh they're they're a vet's best friend because of the blood supply but they are um they're dramatic looking because of how much the head bleeds and this is across all species, right? Yeah. We talk about this in people too. Head wounds just bleed a lot. Now, now bleeding means better healing, um, and and so head wounds heal beautifully and quickly. Often, there's still a risk of underlying structure involvement. Sinuses are, are probably the thing to worry about the most, um, as well as the orbit of the eye. So, um, so check for any eye involvement. Uh, adequate airflow through both nostrils and also I would say uh, realize that 
if this is an acute wound that you're looking at and and there's a chance of, of more edema, there might be some risk of upper airway obstruction if the the wound is is bad enough to involve sinuses nasal passages. So um, just be cognizant of of airflow and if that animal needs a tracheostomy. Otherwise they heal up really nicely if there's no fractures involved. Even if there are fractures involved, they often heal quite well. Um, and and these ones, um, a lot of times you can get by with just some skin staples and they just heal up really nicely. Um, and then uh, make sure they can eat, make sure that they, they can breathe okay. And then uh, to your point, Kim, this is what I tell a lot of owners. Uh, it looks like a lot of blood when these horses are bleeding from wounds, but but we don't even start to think about need for blood transfusions until an animal's, uh, either IV fluids or blood transfusions until an animal's lost 20% or greater of its blood volume, which in a, a, in a thousand pound or 500 kilogram horse comes out to about eight to 10 liters of blood. So what looks like a lot of blood to an owner is, is um, uh, not too severe for a horse, if that's a fair, fair um, thing to say. So for vets in the field, and you had mentioned the staples, you'd mentioned suturing, all these different parts of the body. If you're a vet in the field, how many different types of needles and sutures and so forth? What what are kind of your go-to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so staples I'll only use if there's absolutely no tension across a wound. Um, which is why I usually save them for, for head wounds. If you can just pinch that skin together um, w without any tension, then, then staples can do it. But if there's any tension at all, you'll have to do suture. Um, for me, um, breaking it down again into those categories of leg wound, body wound, head wound, uh, leg wounds, there's not too much soft tissue in that area. So most of the time you're suturing skin um so just one layer and uh we're really fighting against halstead principles when we're suturing leg wounds together because on one side you want the smallest amount of foreign material in a wound for better cosmesis but larger gauge suture is going to be better for tension relief um so usually i'll use tension relieving patterns with a larger gauge suture say an an ot um, monofilament, and then I'll fill in with simple interrupteds with a smaller gauge suture. Now, I prefer non-absorbable suture because it means that in 10 to 14 days, another veterinarian is going to be looking at this wound, taking out those sutures, and I think it's more cosmetic to remove the foreign material rather than let it fall out on its own. But I'm also dealing with, in Ohio, pretty nice animals. Um, so, so if you're in a population where you're just dealing with some Yahoo weanlings as your, as your patient that you're seeing a lot, um, I, I could see the argument for absorbable sutures in that area. Or if you're worried about clients that won't have you back out to remove those sutures. Um, moving up, sorry, uh, moving up to the, the trunk, um, same principles with the skin sutures, but there's a higher likelihood that you can get a deeper layer in there. 
Muscle doesn't hold suture very well. So usually as long as it's a clean wound, I'll switch to a braided absorbable suture in a slightly bigger suture size, say an odd or so. And um, anything else on the body wounds? You, you said that you muscle doesn't hold a suture very well. What are you doing if you're trying to, to keep that, you know, if there is a, a tear in it or something mm -hmm. to heal? Yeah, and, and I, I guess I can clarify that by saying muscle's never going to be the holding layer of your repair. So you, you, what you're trying to do when you suture muscles together is get them in the same zip code for them to heal, but that holding layer is still gonna be your skin. Um, and there's still gonna be some tension with that skin even in, in abdomen. So strategies for, um, for wounds when there's tension, we'll use the tension relieving patterns of vertical mattresses, horizontal mattresses, near, far, far, near. And if, if that still doesn't cut it, um, I'll add some stents, either buttons or I'll cut up an extension set and use stents so that the suture doesn't cut through the skin. Um, knowing that stents reduce the cosmesis of wound healing. And then the last thing I'll, I'll go to if there's still a lot of tension are releasing incisions where I, I make small incisions into the skin around that wound um, to, to basically increase the surface area of that skin around the wound um, for, uh, for tension relief. And also that can help with drainage as well. Okay, and with heads? With heads, um, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of, there are of course times in head wounds where, where there's a lot of tension, but um, but but less so than on distal limbs. I think with heads, the bigger concern are, are involvement of underlying structures. The flat bones of the face, especially over the sinus, um, often fracture with, with head wounds, especially with the way horses get them, running into each other, running into posts. Um, uh, so, so if there's involvement of those sinus bones, um, then, then we can elevate those, we can improve cosmesis. Um, if, if the horse is breathing adequately um, and the owner just absolutely doesn't want to refer the horse in for a sinus fracture or anything like that, um, it'll probably heal up okay. The other thing to worry about in the sinuses are our dentition um, down the road, so, so maybe worth checking out those teeth at one point. Um, but really, I think the big thing to worry about is is ocular involvement, how that how that eye is doing, um, staining the eye if necessary to to rule out any corneal ulceration. Um, people often worry about head wounds and and the cranium. Um, probably two months ago, I would have told you I've I've never seen a horse with a head wound that um, or a, a laceration. I've seen plenty with head wounds that involve the the cranium and the brain, but um, but two months ago we had a horse come in here that um, that had a fracture that involved her her cranium, and so um, that one we we lavage still did did debridement did did wound principles sutured it up and and she actually did okay um, as well. So so of course consider the cranium, but the horse brain is relatively small. 
to the the rest of its face, and I've seen a lot more sinus and a lot more ocular involvement than than central nervous involvement with head lacerations, at least. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you can think of, maybe tips or tricks that you teach your students or that you have for veterinarians in the field when you're dealing with a laceration that needs to be sutured? Um, I think the one thing we haven't mentioned is is drains. Um, so uh, I there's there's been a couple lacerations where I've regretted not putting in a drain. I don't think there's a laceration where I've regretted putting in that drain. Um, so I, I generally use Penrose drains. Uh, I, if at all possible, you want to exit that drain in an area separate from the wound. It will, it will decrease cosmesis and healing of that wound. So I'll usually make a stab incision adjacent to the the distal aspect of the wound, or if there's a pocket within that pocket pocket distal to the wound, and have the drain exit through there. And then the drain has to be pulled three to five days after you place it. Otherwise, it acts as a conduit for bacteria to, to crawl up. So the other suggestion I would make is use a separate suture or suture pattern or somehow mark the suture you use to suture in that drain, especially if your associate's going to be the one pulling the drain in a couple days and you've got a day off. Um, uh, so that you know which suture to cut to pull that drain and not disturb your skin sutures. Good point. And while we're talking about students, and I know you work with students there, what, what are the most common uh, things that students need to learn about skin injuries that, that require suturing? Yeah, um, I think just just suture handling and getting comfortable with the tension relieving patterns. Um, and then uh, in Ohio, we've got a good amount of students that do mixed animals. So they do small animal and then they do large animals. So uh, I think um, students are pleasantly surprised with how much we can do standing in the equine field. Uh, it's, it's faster and it's often safer for the horse to not have to put this animal under anesthesia and it's certainly cheaper for the owner. So a good working knowledge of, of nerve blocks, um, uh, if it's a distal limb wound and, and uh, performing a, a good line block, if it's a head or an abdominal wound. If a horse is particularly twitchy, we'll, we'll use a butterfly catheter to administer the local block so that a butterfly catheter with a um, a tubing on the end so that the horse, when it pulls away, it's not pull, pulling your needle out. Um, uh, so, so I'll reinforce just those ideas with students as well as, as just the normal time points of the healing cascade. So going back full circle to, to when we first started about when do you suture, uh, knowing that granulation tissue doesn't march in until day three to five after a wound. So if you see granulation tissue, then you know that it's it's more chronic. And and really, I emphasize with the students, protect themselves by telling the owner the wound's gonna, gonna look worse five to seven days after suturing. Um, because as, as my students, as they graduate, as they're 
they're going out. I don't want an owner to say, well, this young vet didn't suture my horse up appropriately because a distal limb, limb wound just seven days later. They just do that. Yeah, good point. Okay, well, thank you very much, Dr. Gardner, for joining us today for this episode of Disease Du Jour. Some great tips in this, so we really appreciate it. And we thank our audience for listening to Disease Du Jour and a special thanks to our 2021 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. You can listen and rate episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or if you just want to go to Equimanagement and listen to the podcast, you can do it there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can send me an email at kbrown at equinenetwork.com. The Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. Mm-hmm.